You're listening to Path of Love with David Youngren. To learn more about us, visit pathoflovecenter.com. Welcome back to the Path of Love. I am Marcus. We are talking with David Youngren, the author of Awakening to the I Am Love. We're on part three, The Awakening. Spiritual awakening is awakening from the dream of thought. Eckhart Tolle. We'll be discussing chapter eight, the wonder of who you are. Let's talk with David. Hey, David, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing good. It's We're recording this, of course, in the summertime, so it's nice here, and I've, as it is most of the time in Southern California, but around the world, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, I've, a lot of us are enjoying summertime, and summertime is always a special time. Yes, I believe yesterday was summer solstice, or the first day of summer, or today is the first day of summer, correct? I don't know. Of course, this is the day we record. So people, by oh. the time I listen to this, they will, will already be past that. But yes, okay, I, think well, you're, I think you're pretty well correct. There's something to that. <laughs> Not 100% sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's talk about so for, chapter those, eight. For, for those who are listening to us right now, they can go back into the calendar and try to figure out when this was recorded. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a good idea. <laughs> All right, let's talk about chapter eight, the wonder of who you are. I mean, we're on part three of the book, uh, Awakening to I Am Love. And part three, or part one and two, uh, brought us to just basically trying to be awakened. Would you say that? It was more to do with understanding what we are awakened from. The first uh, part of the book was specifically about laying out some key terminology. Some people may be not very familiar with some of the terminology I would use. So I presented an overall vision. And then in section two, it was about understanding what we're awakened from. And essentially what we were saying as I went through that particular section with all the four different chapters, and we discussed this in four different episodes. I talked about the ego and the egoic mind that most people, in fact, the majority of the humanity is lost in thought. And really, in order for us to live the kind of healthy, uh, harmonious, happy life that we were created for, we must wake up from the dream of thought or the egoic mind and awaken to our true essence. So this is where we're getting to, to in this particular section, the awakening section. So this chapter eight, the wonder of who you are, you start out with talking about the great things in life. You should say, I, I should say, like you said, have you ever gazed at a hundred stars lighting up the sky on a clear night? stood on a sandy beach on an island looking out at a clear turquoise water, experienced the warmth of the sun after a chilly night, looked deeply into the eyes of your lover, held your newborn baby in your arms for the first time, and then been overcome with wonder and gratitude for the beauty of life. So that being said, yeah. I certainly have had that experience before. It's one of those experiences that 
lot of people cherish and they want to have in life. Does that bring you to what made you start the chapter like that? Good question, actually. The reason why was because when I when I when you actually start to think about who you are, really this question or this chapter is about the wonder of who you are. So where do we start? Where do we begin to really discover who we are? Most of us, we begin with the conceptualized self, the egoic mind. That's the starting point for what we perceive to be us, to what we perceive to be me. But I wanted to start with the beauty of life at looking up and seeing the totality of it all and and just uh, realizing I'm here. For example, when you look up into the skies, you realize the magnitude of the universe. When you look on the sandy beach and an island looking out the, at the uh, water, you're mesmerized by its beauty. And so th that was really the reason I started that way. So, so in the next portion of the, of the book here, you have questions, you say, these questions about the universe and our place in it have mystified philosophers, scientists, theologians, and seekers of truth for thousands of years. You explained before how big the universe is and how we can just be here. Well, who are we? And that's the biggest question. Everybody wants to know who we are. What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? Did we just show up here? And, and so we have this kind of inner desire to know what, who am I? Books have been written about this. Spiritual texts are really about the essence of who we are. Science has devoted much time and space to researching who we are. So there is something within each and every one of us that long to know, really, what is the purpose for our life? And why are we here? And what makes life so unique and mesmerizing and so thrilling and, and at the same time can have so many heartaches and so much pain. So what is it when, with new perception, you said you found that ancient spiritual books to be uh, fascinating texts that should be explored through the eyes of the mystic. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, it's really my own process. Uh, when, when I make reference to that in the beginning, I, I talk about the own process of beginning to look at this question of who am I and understanding really the depth of who we are. I came with a content or a conditioned mind. I was raised to believe a certain way. I was raised to think a certain way. But the more I then had this experience of divine love, you know, I've explained this and I don't know whether I really talked about it in this podcast so much, but when I had that experience during meditation of really uh, being, uh, becoming aware of this indescribable presence, a presence that permeated with love within me, uh, what happened uh, you know, I was, of course, healed from cluster headaches. But then what happened as I continued to meditate and remain in that place of awareness of this presence within me, my life began to change. And I experienced this pure awareness of the stillness of the spirit within. And out of that grew then a new understanding of many spiritual texts. 
It, and, and it was almost like I had been blind before. I had read them through my egoic eyes or through the egoic filter of my mind, through the way I've been taught. But suddenly it was like I saw things through new eyes. And that's what I'm trying to convey in these chapters of the book. In fact, the entire book is about that. And you start out by, in this chapter, revisit the question of who we are. Basically, who are we? And then are, who am I? But then you say, beginning with me will inevitably end up in the shackles of an ego. Is that basically because you're using the word me and it's about me and what I want or what I think of myself? It is more in reference to that most of us, when we look at and when we ask the question, who am I? We start with me. We start with my desires. We may do a, take an enneagram or we may take a personality test or we may, you know, look at our history. We look at our ancestry. We, we go to, uh, what do you call that, uh, ancestry.com or one of the, take one of those tests and we discover we got so much of uh, DNA, you know, kind of indicates we're from that nation and that nation and that group of people. And so that's where most people begin. But to really understand who you are, I don't think that's the right starting point. The right starting point is to look at the big picture, to understand the broader picture. And for me, that starts with the universe. And then we look at God and then to look at your own physicality, the biology, the physics of who you are, and then beginning to then try to take these different pieces to uh, be able to learn and better understand who at the very core, who you are and what your purpose in life is. So, well, let's start with the universe. Um, you have a lot of great um, facts in here that really, you know, boggle the mind where you go into the point to where like 29% of a total land mass on earth is um, desert. I mean, and then you go into 4.9% of the total of the universe. Um, it, it, I'm sorry, 68% of the universe is dark energy. 27% of the universe is dark or invisible matter. Um, that stuff was like pretty scientifically and fascinating. I was creating this like it was a science book. It was pretty cool. Well, what I wanted to do was to really, because so many of us, we get caught up in our world. We get caught up in where we live, in our small circle of friends and our part of the globe. We get, we're very tribal. That's very much how we are. We're very much focused on our world. But when you actually begin to look at the scope of the universe, it is mind boggling. So think about it this way, and I think I bring that up, that when I mentioned the desert, we, we talk about if you take every single grain of sand on the earth, now if you go to every beach, I don't know if you've ever been to a beach, I know you have, because you were just in, <laughs> in, 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 in a Kauai. very beautiful, in Hawaii, exactly. But if you take every, every beach on the earth, but also every desert 
So think about the Sahara Desert, for example. That's like a you know a third of Africa is a Sahara Desert. And then you think about the deserts here. You think about all the sand. It's just an enormous amount of sand. And then you think about every grain of sand and think of small that grain of sand is. Now, just you, you, you get the picture. And then mm -hmm. you think about all the stars in the universe. And what amazes me is that if you take every single grain of sand on the earth, you just can imagine the, the number of it. I won't even bother with because it's like words you haven't even heard of. <laughs> and at least most of us have never yeah. even heard of. And when, when you take that grain of sand and you multiply it by 10, that's how many stars there are in the universe. So you see how, how enormous the universe is? And then you think about, I was just looking at this the other day. I was looking outside up into the sky. And I was just, I like to sit outside sometimes just being present with the moment, just being present in the now and, and just coming to that place of pure awareness. And I look up into this sky and what do I see? I see the moon. And, and I recognize for the moon, the light of the moon to reach me takes 1.3 seconds. Uh, that's pretty fast. It's traveling at a great speed. We know that, uh, you know, it travels, uh, light travels at 100, I think it's 180,000 miles per second. I think it is something like that. And then if you actually look at the stars, so you look out up at the stars, the nearest star to us takes 4.3 years. So compare that to 1.3 seconds of the moon and eight minutes for the sun. And then the nearest star for the light to reach me takes 4.3 years. And then as I looked up, I was outside yesterday, I looked up at the Big Dipper and I decided, well, I want to find out how far away those stars are. And and as I looked it up, it says it, it takes light to travel from the nearest of those stars. It takes 54 years and wow. for the furthest 104 years. Now, this is even more interesting. It takes to travel from the nearest galaxy. Now, remember, there are billions of galaxies, billions of galaxies in the universe. The nearest galaxy to us it takes light 25,000 years to travel to where we are right now. So when you begin to think about that, the enormity of the universe is beyond anything that we can comprehend. And so if we want to really have a serious discussion about who we are, that's where we got to start. We got to start at the vastness, the the bigness, if you want to use that word, I don't know if that's a word, but uh, you want to start there and think about that 4.9% of the total universe is 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 a uh, visible matter and then you have 20 percent is dark or invisible matter matter and some of these things are you know science is not 100 percent sure of and then to just reduce this enormous place to some kind of a mechanical universe that essentially was made from nothing by pure chance it's a little bit mind-boggling to understand. And that's what I'm trying to communicate in that early part of this chapter. I I can see that in there, but it 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 makes you feel like you are just a small sliver portion of this vast universe. How do you find out who you are when everything around you is so vast. 
Well, I continue in the book, in this particular part of it, I've been continuing to talk about the vastness of the universe. And then I say, you know, there was this, uh, and I remember reading this guy a number of years ago. He's a, he's a physicist, one of the leading physicists of the world, Dr. Robert Lansom. And he, he wrote a book called Biocentrism, and I read several of his books. And he made this incredible statement. He said, you know, let me see if I can quote it to you because I have it in the book. Has anyone offered any credible suggestion for how some 14 billion years ago, we suddenly got a hundred trillion times more than a trillion, 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 trillion tons of matter from silch. Has anyone explained how dumb carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen molecules could have by combining accidentally become sentiment or aware and then utilize this sentiment or awareness to acquire a taste for hot dogs and the blues. In other words, the point is that the universe is, is this incredible mystery, yet you and I have this incredible ability to be aware, to be conscious of it, not just to be conscious of, it, be conscious of ourselves and to be self-aware and aware of all of the universe. And that is mind-boggling. So, but we want to start with the universe. And then, of course, when we, when we see this, when we look at how we have this capacity to, to be able to see it, it leads us naturally to this question of God. It does. And that's the next portion on there that you say God. And it leads naturally to God. And you talk about the meaning of the name father as well. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on the name father and the Hebrew letters that you, you describe? Yeah, let me just give you a um, preface to that first. Whenever you talk about God, it's like stepping on landmines, right? There are so you know, many people don't like to use the word God, and, and, and some people insist that you have to use that word. For me, I, I have throughout the book, of course, I refer to God in many different, with many different words, spirit, divine, you know, ground of being, being, father, creator, love, life, light. And, and sometimes we get so boggled down with one word to describe God. But how can you describe this infinite reality beyond our comprehension? How can you narrow it down to one word? So we can only try. We can only, and I think this is in biblical text, certainly there is an attempt to then somehow now to describe this God in many different ways, but it's almost like the words are, no matter how you explain them, are inadequate. So when we come to one of the words that Jesus specifically used about God, he called God Father. Now, so then we kind of immediately think of a male. Mm -hmm. but, you know, that's kind of silly. So then we have this big discussion. Oh, you know, God is, is don't call, should we call it God the he or she? That's just silly to me. That's like you're missing the whole point. What was the word father? For example, in the Hebrew alphabet, you, you learn so much and you have a much deeper understanding that many times the way we superficially interpret something. So the word father consisted of two letters, Aleph and Bet. Now, the letter Aleph 
is the first letter in the alphabet, and the second letter in the alphabet is bet. So that kind of makes sense. So what that speaks of the beginning, right? It speaks of originator. But then as you look a little bit deeper into these words, you also realize that the word father or the word, uh, sorry, the letter Allah, the symbol of that is an ox that is plowing. So what is plowing in an ox? What has that to do with anything? Well, in other words, before you have plants, before you have a crop, before you have a harvest, you have, has been planted. And what has been planted in the ground, you cannot see. So it really speaks of the invisible, the Father, God, that which transcends all things, the infinite, is invisible. We can't see it. It's beyond what we can see. And then the second letter, which is bet. And when you see that, you see a house. It's actually a picture of a house, but the focus is on the inside of the house, which you cannot see. So there is something inside the house, which you cannot see. So that, to me, speaks of that the universe, the, this incredible place, that there is something, there is reality, there is something that is beyond what we can see. And I, and I think this is the best way to describe it. There is a consciousness. Science is telling us that, that without a consciousness, we, that you won't be able to see anything. There, not, nothing would materialize. In other words, atoms would not form with other atoms and then create this form and then create some visible matter and create what we're able to see. There has to be consciousness and that kind of makes sense. So think of it this way. When we think of the Father, when we think of God, what do we think of? We think of formless consciousness. And that's why Paul says the Father's above all, through all, and in all. In other words, that which is this invisible realm, this realm that is beyond what we're able to see consciousness is the very essence of God. And that to me is a much more logical explanation of God rather than fighting about whether God is a he or a she. Yeah. And then you say another concept of God is spirit. Um, and uh, the Greek and Hebrew um, uh, mythology, spirit means wind or breath. How does that thing. relate? to that. Yeah, and that's the same thing in Taoism or Hinduism and many other traditions. It's not just in, in the Judeo-Christian traditions, but many traditions speak the same thing, that God is spirit. And, you know, the meaning of that is wind or breath. And I think we've talked about this in the past. Wind or breath is something you cannot see. Uh, if you think about wind or breath, breath, it's what, breath is what signifies that you have life or that I have life. So when I'm breathing, it speaks to the aliveness, my spirit, consciousness. When I'm no longer breathing, it means I'm no longer conscious, right? Or the consciousness is no longer in my body, at least. It's no longer in this form. My body, the form is there, but there is no aliveness. There is no, there is no animation. And so spirit speaks to consciousness again, that which is causes um, that sense of aliveness to exist. So when you think about the universe, when we think about God, if God is this indivisible whole, the oneness of all things that undergirds all reality, that permeates this incredibly huge, enormous universe, 
that is beyond what we're able to see or, or be able to perceive. What I'm saying is that there is life there. There is consciousness there. And that consciousness is a God. So you say the spirit closely related to consciousness, possessed with the power of knowing, acting and creating was the vital principle of the universe. Then you move to the spirit is the divine consciousness that gives the universe life. Yeah, and we go back again to consciousness. At the very core, you and I, what we are, we are consciousness. God is formless consciousness. It is the intelligence, the mind, that which exists that we are not able to see. But think about it. If you were, um, if you were building a house, you would have to have an image of that house first. It wouldn't just happen by chance. And, and so where does that image exist? If I would dig into your brain, I cannot find that image anywhere, but it exists in your consciousness, that image, that's where it was created. It was created out of a, your consciousness, exactly the, the blueprint of it. It's the same way with God. What I'm suggesting to you before there was form, before we had the universe, before we had all of that, there was formless consciousness. And out of that formless consciousness, then um, rises, arises form. That's really what I'm trying to convey in that. And, and it's kind of a little, I'm, I'm probably not the best at explaining this, but you know, when, when you get into the quantum physics of it all, it's incredibly fascinating. It does sound fascinating, but if God is spirit, is God also love? And if God is love, does that mean that if the spirit is the divine consciousness that gives the universe life, does that mean the universe should automatically be filled with love? Well, think about what love is. Love is... The, an energy, right? An energy that unites. If you think about the way we experience the world, we experience a separation. The egoic mind experiences a separation. The reality is that everything is one. The universe is one. We all one, but it's hard for us to wrap our he heads around this. So when we become aware of oneness, whether it is with just one person, or it is with our dog, when we become aware of a sense of togetherness, when we move toward somehow another unity with someone else, what do we experience? We experience love. Because that's the energy that holds all things together. On, the, on a deeper level, on the indivisible whole level, there is only one reality. There is one consciousness. But on, on a more form level, what we experience, what we see, the surroundings and everything else, the form, the crater level, there is separation. But the more we become aware of our connection with the indivisible whole and our connection with one another, we experience, we become aware of this energy of love that is healing, that brings peace, that brings joy, that being, brings satisfaction and happiness and, and health and, and harmony to our lives. 
So yeah, that's how that's why it is stated in there that you said God is love and love is energy that calls all matter into existence, which pretty much rounds up how big the universe is. I mean, you you start out with universe, you start it went to God, and it both described things that are vast, extremely big extremely you can't see all aspects of it but you know it's there yeah exactly and then of course we come to the point of you who are you yes and then you got into a little bit more of the scientific side on that one which was actually really cool on this one too i mean like um it contains about 60 percent water you do um, unless you're lean and fit, I'm more on the 60% side. You may be more on the 50% water <laughs> side. <laughs> um, and then your body also contains about 75 trillion cells um, and give or take a few based on your size. And then also contains hundreds of thousands of molecules with six feet of DNA in every cell containing 3 billion codes. I mean, this this sounds like a scientific, a science theater type of thing, because for people who aren't really into this and know the facts about their body, they're like, okay, I, I have water in me and cells in me, and they don't really look at that. But it's another definition of the vast expression that you used in universe and God. Well, what, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get into when I try to explain who you are, when I look at the biology of things, we look at the phys physics of things. Uh, and then you realize, okay, well, 75 trillion cells. Now, give, you know, I was kind of wrong. I learned later on that give it to take a few based on your size. It's not actually true. Mm. The cells expand according to uh how you grow so we all are around 75 trillion cells or so and i haven't counted so i don't know exact number but uh, that we're exactly the same but i assume that we're fairly close to the same and then as we talked about it's it's a fascinating to think about these cells and and they're they're made up of now there's seven each cell is made up of like 75 trillion atoms think of that that's like Incredible, right? And each of those atoms are made up of 99.9% empty space. And, and then think about that, which is to me is fascinating. So it's made up of empty space, but then now they begin to realize that an atom that is made up of 99%, 99.9% empty space, actually there is a pattern of information within that atom so there is an infinite potential within that atom. And then think about this, that these atoms are not like stationary. It's not like, oh, I had these atoms since um, uh, I was born, you know? Uh, I've had this, these atoms for the last 10 years and these cells have been mine for the last 10 years. No, your cells and your atoms are continually changing. In fact, the atoms, they never die out. It's not like atoms die. You know, atoms always, they just kind of fluctuate. So you, you, an atom might be here right now and the next moment and may be on the moon without traveling the distance. 
Oh, that's mind-boggling, right? And the atoms are in me could be in you in just a moment, you know? And and the atoms that were in, uh, I usually tell my political friends, the atoms that were in Barack Obama and in Donald Trump may be in you. So you may have a mixture of the both of, you know, <laughs> that you, you just never know. But so, so there is a continual that just speaks of the unity of all things. There speaks of the unity. And the amazing thing is, is these atoms keep a track on one another. So, for example, another atom is able to, without sending a message, so if, let's say that there are two atoms that were connected at one point, and one atom is now on the uh, planet Mars, and one is mm -hmm. on the sun, and then, uh, you know, maybe one is in me, or one is you. Well, they can keep track of one another, what's going on? I mean, this is so mind-boggling. It's absolutely incredible when you begin to think of these things. And so then you made up of it. Then these cells, now you think, well, you know, I've been having these cells for the last 10 years. No, mm -hmm. in fact, your cells, uh, some of you, you, you have billions of cells that die every day. And yeah, new you, cells are born every day. You and, say your skin is makes up of 90% of dust in your home. Yeah. You shed about 10 billion flakes of skin every day. Every 28 days, your skin is completely replaced. And every seven to nine years, your entire body has, um, has an internally new set of cells. Exactly. And most cells, I mean, many parts of your body is only a couple of months and you have completely new cells. So what remains, of course, is the pattern. There's a certain pattern that these cells so the new cells are being produced they, they, they fall within this pattern but at the same time all of you have changed all of you what you were like 10 years ago none of it is the same in fact you don't even well you do look like you did 10 years ago kind of but so we all have changed and and, and this is so fascinating when you begin to think about this and and then we come to this incredible question Yet, in the midst of all these changes, in the midst of you, us losing our hairs and shedding our hairs and shedding our skin and, and all these changes, yet you continue to be you, which leads me to this question, what in you is you? If you're not your biology, even if your thoughts change all the time, like, like who are you in you? Like, what is it that make up you? And then, of course, the answer to that is, and this is what we've been talking about, is that you have this sense of awareness, that you are conscious. Who you are at the very core is consciousness. Yeah, and that completely emphasizes that who you are at the very core is consciousness. Because again, like you said, with all the stuff that sheds off of you, all the scientific and cells and things like that, that are no longer a part of you and then can be a part of you and can be a part of somebody else 10 minutes later, five minutes later, a second later. Um, how do you identify with yourself? How do you actually say I am who I am or identify who you are? And that's through your consciousness that you say, right? Exactly. And consciousness is not something you can break down into cells then, right? Like it's not, so what is it? This like something that is, how do I put it? It's, it's something that is deeper than, than just form. And, and here is again what I'm talking about when we, when we are called the children of God. 
what are we referring to? And when it talks about God breathing, as it says in Genesis, and other traditions say the same thing, that God breathed his breath and we became a living soul. He, he created the form out of the dust and then he breathed into the, in, into the form, his breath, and we became a living being. So the dust is only dust. But what really is life is consciousness. And what is that consciousness? That consciousness is God. God breathed his very essence because, now think about this, breath is invisible. And when you think about this more logically, and when you think about this more from the point of quantum physics, you begin to understand really what we're talking about, that God is formless consciousness. God breathed his very essence, consciousness into us. And, and that's who we are. That's the divine realm within us. Now, most of us are lost in our thoughts. Most of us are lost within the confinement, with the entrapment of form, our form. But we get lost in our thoughts and ideas and, 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 and our physical beings. That's why we talked about the ego. That's why we spend so much time talking about that. But the, your true essence, that eternal dimension within you, is the, your divine dimension where you are one with God, but not just you, everyone. Where we are, have, we are, and that's why I keep saying that we're all one. There's a sense of oneness. And so then when you begin to understand the atoms and how they move from one to the next and the dying of cells, and when you begin to understand quantum physics, all of this starts making sense, right? You say, ah, yeah, now I get it. Now I get what Jesus was talking about. Now I get what some of these ancient texts, not just Jesus, but some of the other ancient texts, I begin to understand more what they're talking about, even though they didn't have any understanding of quantum physics, but it kind of, all of it suddenly begins to make sense. You say you're not your ever-changing body. You're not even your thoughts because they fluctuate, change, and evolve through life. Your true self is instead your spirit, which mysteriously has its being in your body. The spirit is not separated or divorced from God, but is one with God. Yeah. So in that, as you say that, it kind of jumps back to God. And then if God is love and again, God is the, and spirit is the universal life, uh, 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 life to the universe. So spirit is also the universe or the life in you. If we truly want to understand who we are and we begin to realize that we are consciousness and that consciousness is the divine dimension within us, what is form? Form is this beauty, this form is an incredible thing. So what is really the meaning of life then? The meaning of life is for us to awaken to the very uh, awaken to the dimension within us where there is a oneness between form and the formless between God and our humanity. And the more we awaken to that, now when we awaken to the very dimension of God within us, consciousness, pure consciousness, when we awaken to that reality, now our thoughts and our actions and our behavior 
will then are then transformed and then the way we live are transformed to be a manifestation or a conduit of love where we now begin to understand this is really the meaning of life. This is the purpose of why God created us. It wasn't so that he could just kind of, oh, look at all those miserable people in there. I'm going to send them to heaven someday. The ones who really are good and the, the ones who are bad, I'm, I'm going to send to hell. That was not the purpose. That, that's kind of a story the egoic mind had to fit, you know, come up with in order to explain this mystery of God. But the way I see it, and I think it's even in the Bible, and I will get into that later on in, in the following chapters, is for this omega point in history, that we're moving toward this omega point in history, where we are, we are aware when we are conscious of ourselves, but also conscious of the divine essence within us and with one another. And when we're conscious of that, the way it is manifested is with the love that we have for one another. You use an example for the Tanzanian uh, kids who lived an impoverished life. Um, and when they got the materials they needed and they also were not in that impoverished life anymore, they still lived as if they were in that impoverished life because of the mindset that they were used to. I mean, that's not only for them. I mean, that's people in, in it right now. I know a lot of people who were very poor, grew up poor, and they have money and they really seem to be still just as poor, live in the life of being just as poor. And it may seem like a far reach to move from what we talked about, this quantum physics idea to that point. But I did that in the book because I wanted to show people that how this practically can be explained. So think about it this way. Your mind that is unconscious, when, as long as we're unconscious, we will live out the programming of our subconscious. We will live out the way we've been programmed, the way we've been conditioned. So a child in Africa will live out the reality of poverty. And I've worked with children in Africa, I've seen this. They will live out their poverty because their internal image they have of themselves is based on the conditioning that they've had since childhood, that they are poor, that they cannot accomplish much. And so they live out their reality even when they are given money. And the same is true in the United States. People who may have been raised poor, but then suddenly have money, they're still poor inside. The only thing that's going to transform that, the only thing that's going to change that, because those are unconscious programming inside of us, is when we awaken to that dimension of our true self, our union, our oneness with God. When we begin to become aware of that, there is a transformation of our thoughts and there is a healing of the heart, the self-image that we have of ourselves. We begin to see ourselves not according to the ego's conditioning, nor not according to the conditioned self, the conceptualized self, but according to the vastness of the universe. So think about that when you awaken to that. And that's another reason we brought up the vastness of the universe. When you think about the enormity of it, the, the generosity of it, the, the beauty of it, the, 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 the incredibly uh, splendor of it all. 
when you wake into that and you realize I'm one with God, I am one with the source of life. So the more you're aware of that, now you are able to tap into the intelligence of the source of life. And when you tap into the intelligence of the source of life, then there's infinite potential. There is infinite potential, but that infinite potential is only manifested through love, through kindness, through generosity, through forgiveness, through peace, through being present in the now, not being caught up in your mind, not being trapped in your mind. So I know this is maybe difficult for many people to grasp when they first hear this, but the more you begin to see this, you will discover this incredible beauty that really what life is about, and we'll, we'll get into this more and more as we go, get into this whole section, but more and more is that we begin to identify. Remember how we talked about the ego is, is identification and separation. We identify with form. But when we wake up to who we are, we identify with formlessness. We identify with spirit. We identify with consciousness. We identify with oneness with God rather than with the conceptualized self, the ego's interpretation of who I am. And you say one of those ways to practice getting yourself into that state or being into that state is through meditation correct yes of course yeah because the meditation it's not like meditation some secret uh no mm -hmm. uh, you know methodology we shouldn't get focused on the methodology but the reason why it works is because it you get to the point in where you be, just become aware you separate because there is a separation between awareness and thought and I think this is an important thing for people to realize. There's a separation between the awareness of thought. Awareness is just a stillness. You're just aware. You're not making a judgment. You're not. So if I'm looking out right now, I'm just aware. I'm just present. I'm not making a judgment by what I see. I'm not calling it good or bad or right or wrong. I'm just aware. But thought is always in, in some way or another especially the goic mind and the goic thinking is, is has some kind of I, me or mine in it. It's even if it's just emotionally, it has some kind of a personal connection to it. And we make a judgment whether it's good or bad for us or good or bad for me. And that is the entrapment of the mind that obviously that keeps us in, in, um, keeps us in suffering and keeps us in, in unhappiness and keeps us in stress and all of that. And so the, the whole purpose of life to, is to awaken to that dimension within us that is one with God, where we then will begin to experience this incredible love, joy, and peace. I know for some people that being awareness comes from a lot of things. I mean, it's not only meditation. I was watching one of a skateboarders, and she's a teenager. Um, who skateboards for the Olympics. And she says when she's on her skateboard, she doesn't think about anything else. There's nothing else that goes through her mind and she can see how beautiful the trees are. She said how beautiful the sky is. 
how beautiful all of this is just by being on her board and just just it takes her to a place to where she's just aware of where she's at and sees the beauty of the world and 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 and, and life. And it she was feels weird completely alive. I bet she feels completely alive. She feels right? completely alive, she said. And this is coming from a teenager who's yeah. going to be in the Olympics this year. So I'm I'm saying there are different places in your life or things in your life that maybe take you to those places where you need to explore, stay more in that area, you think? Oh, you, you know, you bring up such an incredible point there because I met so many people that, you know, they say, well, you know, my escape from the troubles and the the suffering in my mind is, for example, surfing or somewhere. I feel so present. I feel so alive. We all, there's something within each and every one is we long for that sense of being present, being aware, being conscious, being separated from thought where we're no longer consumed by thought. We're just aware. And so what you're talking about is uh, this person, this young teenager is just aware and not focused on her problems, not focused on anything, just aware of, of her surroundings and what she's doing. And that is, yeah, that, that's part of it. That's a huge part of it. Well, in closing, you say, since the spirit's essence is love, the words you use, the actions you take, the creative expressions that you engage in reflect your true self. You will no longer be held back by subconscious beliefs rooted in feelings of I am not enough. You are enough in every situation because you're because your true self knows no limits thank you so much david for um discussing chapter eight with us uh in your book again awakening to i am love i encourage people to pick up the book and follow along with us well again david again thank you very much thanks for listening to today's podcast of path of love with david youngren This podcast is produced by the Path of Love Center, thanks to the generosity of our donors. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, and sharing it with a friend. Together, we can grow an inclusive community around the transformational work of love. To learn more about Path of Love and get daily wisdom seeds sent to your email inbox, visit pathoflovecenter.com. You can also download David Youngren's guided audio meditation, Healing Stillness, for free at our website. From all of us at Path of Love, may love, joy, and peace be with you always.